Hello, and welcome to the Empowerography Podcast. This is a platform created for women's voices to be heard and a place to share their stories, journeys, and successes with the world for the purpose of helping other women who might be on similar journeys. We are empowering women one episode at a time. I'm your host, Brad Walsh, so kick back, grab one of your favorite beverages, and enjoy the stories. The world needs to hear your message and your story, so don't deny the world of that gift within you that the universe has given you. Someone out there needs to hear your story because it will support them in feeling hope, inspired, and even transformed. Do you want to discover how I help get my clients out of their own way, show up, and confidently share their message? I would love to extend an invitation to you to join me in my free masterclass, Start Your Own Podcast from Idea to Implementation, on Wednesday, April 5th at 1 p.m. Eastern. You can find the registry link in the show notes. Hope to see you there. Hello there, Brad Walsh here, your host of the Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest is Saria Sabi. She is a keynote speaker, a strategist, a minimalist expert, and a coach. Welcome, Saria. How are you doing this morning? I am great. Thanks, Brad. Excellent. Thank you so much for taking and making the time to be here with me today and share a little bit about your story and your journey. I am so excited to have you here and looking forward to jumping in and sharing all the things, Saria. So let's jump right in. As I mentioned, you are all of those things. That's a hell of a lot of hats and quite a resume. How on earth do you find the time for all of this, Saria? And how important is prioritization and organization in order to stay on top of things? Yeah, so definitely it's it sounds like a lot of hats. I've over the years worked that into a system that doesn't take nearly as much time as you would think. And I've done that very intentionally with a a big part of that is because I'm also a mother of two and I will be homeschooling them in a couple of months. So I have intentionally worked my schedule to the point that I can juggle all that and actually do it with really a sense of peace and clarity. And that has come from all of the minimalism work that I've done over the years. I love it. So with all of these hats you wear, what does your morning routine look like? Morning routine, it's so key. It's so important to have a very strict morning and nighttime routine. If you you know read about top performers, it's a common thread for sure. So my morning routine, the second the alarm goes off, the first thing that I do is check three things, the weather, the calendar, and I read a devotional first okay. thing before I ever get out of bed in the morning. And okay. that ta- that all takes about 10 minutes. And then I roll out of bed. I do 43 push-ups. Actually, I do 50. <laughs> but I've added a push-up for every year of my life. But I'm always afraid like, okay, what if I hit 44 and then I can't add that next one? So I've upped that already. Just, so, you know, a little breathing room. Cover so. yourself. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so I hit the floor. I do 50 push-ups yeah. and a couple other exercises. And then I go right into it. But those things happen in that order every morning without fail. And so what is your nighttime routine? You said you have a nighttime routine as well. I do. So nighttime routine is the same. I do a little bit of yoga before I go to bed. I even sit in a particular position in bed when I read my Bible and do my prayer. Yeah. And then I change positions. I even change the lighting. It's very, very regimented. Wow. And then I read (laughs) fiction. Okay. For, you know, 20 minutes or so until I fall asleep. (laughs) I love it. Very, very regimented. My family knows not to mess with it. (laughs) (laughs) So what were you doing for a living before making the transition into the entrepreneurial world? So I was practicing as a physical therapist. Okay. And I've always coached at the same time. So I coach 
hand balancing, tumbling, and acrobatics. Wow. So I've always done that in addition to anything else I was doing my whole life. But yes, I was practicing as a physical therapist. Okay. Now, when we say you're a coach, yes, you coach those things, but are you, you're also like a coach, like a mindset coach or that type of coach as well? Absolutely. So yes, these days I do still coach some acrobatics and that sort of thing, but it's it's in a consulting type role. Okay. okay. And everything that I do is tied into the mindset. So I work with entrepreneurs. I work with small business owners. I work with athletes on mindset and minimalism and strategies to just help optimize what they do, help them get massive goals. Now, I've heard a lot of people say that most, if not all coaches, I mean, we've all been through our shit. We've all been through our personal struggles and our journeys as human beings. But I've noticed that through conversations with a lot of coaches, for most of them, the struggles or their journeys were the catalyst for them to jump into and become a coach to help others. Can you share a little bit about your own personal journey you were on before making the leap into the coaching world? Yeah, a hundred percent. I think you are completely dead on with that. So I think what I found is all, and I've worked with some of the best coaches in the world. I work with some amazing people, been really blessed. I feel like the best coaches are the people who have been there, done that, and they've been through those struggles and now help those people with those struggles. So definitely mine is born out of my own struggles, like you said. So I was, I call myself a recovering maximalist. So growing, <laughs> <laughs> growing up, I, I got attention by achievement. So I just did everything that I possibly could and did it as well as I could. So by the time I was a senior in high school, among many other things, I was a world team power tumbler. Okay. And a straight A student. And there were a lot of other things that I was doing at the same time, but you get the impression there. And so what people saw was that I looked impressive from the outside. Right. What people didn't see was that I hardly ever slept. I had severe anxiety and depression and suicidal thoughts. Wow. It was a very, very dark time. And that continued for quite a while. So that is kind of before I I made the switch and, and did all those things, that was where I operated from for most of my life. And so who did you have as a support system when you were going through that? And what was the catalyst for the shift in getting out of that hole, I guess you could call it? Unfortunately, I didn't have much of a support system or I, you know, I, that's probably not fair. Probably looking back what I, I didn't realize what I had and I didn't feel like I could reach out. And what I've learned in working with, I primarily work with high achievers is right. that a lot of them, way too many of them are in that place as well. And you're really, really good at hiding it because you're high achiever and you don't want to show any kind of weakness. You don't want people to think less of you. So you hide it and you're really good at it. Even the people that are closest to you, my disordered eating. You know, I was a power tumbler. I was in a leotard seven days a week in front of wow. the, the world, and people would tell me how good I looked. I wasn't eating, so I thought, well, that's this is working, so I should, you know, keep this up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, people didn't know. Yeah, I just I hid it. I was so busy. People didn't really know what I was doing. They didn't see that I wasn't eating. So yeah, it just kind of kept going. So then after I got out of high school, I just push, push harder, push further. And I thought, well, I'm going to go into the hardest program that I can find that I feel like I could maybe handle. So I did physical therapy and 
it was only a master's degree. So I thought, well, we got to go farther than that. So I did the doctorate program, which I didn't have to do. <laughs> you know, you just, you just push harder. Yeah. You know, in terms of, I, I want to backtrack for a second in terms of the support system, literally it was, it was my faith in, in God that saved mm-hmm. me from committing suicide. I did ask my parents for help at one point and that didn't go well. It, therapy was a very taboo thing in my family or right. mental health. So that was literally by the grace of God, I'm still here. But then I went through therapy school and it was extremely hard, but I had my favorite professor in therapy school was an avid marathoner and he peer pressured all of us into doing a half marathon or a marathon relay. So we'd each run six miles. And I thought, okay, I love this guy, but you know, I can't say no because I want to impress people. And you know, he's telling me to do this and I can't let him down. Right. Cause that's my personality. Right. But I thought, Jack's nuts because I'm four foot nine and I'm, <laughs> I'm a powerhouse. I am not built for endurance. Right. Like I ran track. I ran the four by 100 hurdles. I ran the hundred meter dash and I ran the four by 100 meter relay. hundred meters is my max. <laughs> okay. So six miles, is this not going to work yeah, out? Yeah. Yeah. But I did it and I was expectedly horrible at it, but I kind of got the bug because I was with other people and it was a cool experience. The running community is something special. So I didn't want to give it up. So over the course of the next five years, of course, I'm a doctor of physical therapy and I'm on, I'm around all the right people. I know how to read the research and I'm doing all the right things and I'm working my tail off. Right. And yeah. running got worse and worse and worse to the point where all I could run was a mile and that was a struggle. And then I couldn't walk. My knees hurt so bad. My feet hurt so bad. Holy shit. It was horrible. And it's so frustrating because the more effort I put in, the more things I did, quote unquote, right, the worse it got. And I thought, what on earth is happening here? So I pulled back and I looked at the stats and I thought, okay, well, you know, people would tell me, well, running's just hard on your knees. Running's bad for you. Running's this, running's that. And I look at the stats and okay, 80% of runners are injured every year. Yeah. I was definitely in that. Okay. And also 80% of runners are doing exactly what I'm doing. So maybe the problem isn't running. Maybe the problem is what we're doing. So that was my first experience at that point with what I call the burn it all down exercise. (laughs) (laughs) And it is literally my favorite exercise. I took everything that I was doing, the orthotics, the right shoes, the stretching, the even the the timing of the eating and the running and it all the things. And I got rid of all of it. And I said, I'm just going to go down the treadmill and I'm just going to run. Yeah. I didn't put any shoes on. Okay. I got on barefoot and I ran. And I had no pain for the first time in five years. Holy shit. I was floored. I was like, there's no way it can be this simple. (laughs) The first thing I did was start really diving into the research. And I'm like, this is insane. This makes perfect sense. Everything that I was taught was wrong. Everything. Everything that we know is wrong. All the commercials, it's all wrong. And no wonder 80% of runners are injured. We're all doing the same thing. So we're all getting the same result. You know, it makes perfect sense that if we change something, we're going to get a different result. Yeah. So within three months of that, of not being able to run a mile, I got second place in my first ever trail half marathon. Wow. Yeah. It was insane. And then within a year, I was recruited. Then I quickly started a running clinic at my PT practice. Okay. And started seeing the same results with everybody else, you know, which was- By implementing what you found. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And all these people that I had no success with before, shockingly, you know, I was teaching them what I was doing, which wasn't working. So yeah. So then within a year, I had been recruited by Harvard University to come up to Boston and open a running clinic with them and teach these same things. 
Holy shit. That is incredible. So the minimalism journey started with the barefooting and just stripping everything away. And then when I got to Boston, things kind of further got stripped away and I started really learning what was possible when you when you burned it all down. I got up there. I didn't know anybody. I didn't have a place to live. <laughs> My <laughs> director was in Germany. Okay. <laughs> the clinic wasn't even built. Oh, man. Uh, so I am literally, they put me up in an abandoned nunnery. <laughs> And I had one tiny room to myself. Mm -hmm. So literally all I did, I had nothing. I had no distractions. Yeah. All I did was build this clinic and run. And I wow. quickly got hooked up with an ultra marathoning circuit. I ran barefoot all over Boston, I tell you. <laughs> <laughs> and I was able to accomplish these huge things because all the distractions were gone. All the overwhelm was gone. It wasn't intentional, but that was the byproduct of it. And that's kind of where this paradigm shift started for me. And that was back in 2011. So what is one piece of advice then you would give? Because a lot of kids, when they're growing up, are, are raised that way, where it's push, push, push. You've got to achieve this. You've got to achieve that. Whether it be parental conditioning, societal conditioning, all of these things play a part in that. So what is one piece of advice you would give to people that are stuck in that mindset that they've got to just keep pushing. And, you know, I think a lot of it comes from this hustle culture bullshit, which is fed by social media and, and all of this societal conditioning that you've always got to be going, you've always got to be moving, you've always got to be doing shit. So what is one piece of advice you would give then for people to get out of that mindset of they have to be the overachievers, they have to keep pushing and keep going? I think you are spot on with that. It, it is the culture. It's a lot of times it's our families, it's our friends, and you're so dead on with that. And it's, it's killing us. So I would say the one piece of advice I would give is think for yourself, you are enough you are more than enough. Burn it all down and figure out what's right for you. Burn it all down. There's that term again. <laughs> but I mean, for those, the people pleasers with their parents, their family, especially, how do you, how do you get out of that, that mindset of wanting to please your parents? Like that's not an easy thing to do. I think it's easier to do with our friends than our family. I don't think it ever goes away. I really okay. don't. I still... Yeah. But it, for me, the big thing was learning because I, I am a high achiever. I'm always going to be that type A pushing yeah. driving force that's, that's ingrained in me. And it, I embrace that. You know, I used to think it was a flaw. I embrace it now. It, it can be a weapon if used right. What I realized was that all those other things were keeping me from performing at the highest level that I could. And for me, it's all about performing at the highest level that I can. Anything yeah. that gets in the way of that is not okay in my books for anybody. So the thought that, all right, so I'm, I'm pushing, I'm driving, I'm having success in all these areas, I'm pleasing all these people, I'm actually not being my best. If I strip all this away, I can soar beyond that to a place where I never thought I could possibly go. I never thought I could be a barefoot ultra marathoner. I went from, from telling Jack he was crazy because there's no <laughs> way I could run six miles to barefoot ultra marathoning. Yeah. And loving every step. And that was from stripping everything away. So if it's going to help me achieve more, and that's what I would tell those overachievers, you will achieve more if you pull back, if you strip down to the things that are essential. Incredible. And so how have these experiences then helped shape the Surya you are today, both personally and professionally, do you think? Well, I'm still the same person <laughs> at the core. I'm still type A. I'm still driven. But the, the difference is now... I have developed a set of strategies over the years that I teach people when I get off track, which I do and everyone will, 
frequently, I can get back on track very quickly using these strategies and being very intentional about it. I still get overwhelmed, but never anything like like where it was before. I used to have headaches every day. For 15 years straight, I had a headache wow. nonstop. I was a just giant stress ball. Yeah. You know, the I was on Prozac for a while. You know, I don't need any of those things anymore. I have things in a point where if I do start to veer off course, I can get back on very quickly. Yeah. That is the difference for me okay. at this point. So what would you say then was the biggest or most valuable takeaway or lesson for you through your experiences? I think it's the permission. I think it's the permission to quit certain things. And it nobody can give it to you but yourself. And again, for people like me who want people please, it is difficult. You, you want somebody else to give you that permission. And they can, but until you internalize that, it's not going to take. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's the permission to say, yeah, you can stop all this stuff because you have no idea what you're capable of if you do. Okay. I want to speak a little bit about your coaching now. So first of all, I'm curious... In your opinion, what do you think the most important quality or skill set is in a mindset coach that works with the clients that you do? So I think the critical thing is, and you know, I was trained in this in PT school. We actually take classes in reflective listening and things like that because it's important in the PT field. And again, I've worked with some amazing coaches over the years. It is critical to listen and observe with the intention to understand not with the intention to respond. And that, see, that's the problem that a lot of people have is that they're listening just to respond. They're not actively listening. They're not listening with intent and purpose. They're just listening so that they can jump in and share their thoughts. Yes, yes. And we I need never, to shift that. Exactly. I don't coach any two people exactly the same because no two people right. are exactly the same. So it's really critical for me to understand not only the the tangibles that they're dealing with, what their goals are, but what their limiting beliefs are behind that. And they'll say things, they'll drop things that they're not aware of, yeah. or they'll make a shift in body posture that they're not aware of, that if you're watching and listening, you can pick up on and all of a sudden they're like, holy smokes, you know, and those light bulb moments for them are the things that catapult them. Now, obviously, having gone through the struggles you've gone through being involved in athletics to the degree that you were, and of course, being a minimalist expert and a mindset coach, mindset is obviously key. Can you speak to how important a part mindset played in helping you through your struggles and just how important mindset is to our daily routines and our successes? Absolutely. There's a quote I love, and I, <laughs> I have no idea who said it, but it's that the body will quit long before the mind will. Okay. Or, sorry, switch that around. I completely said that wrong. <laughs> The mind will quit long before the body will. Right. That's the right way to say it. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, my mind quit a while back. But, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I'll think that because you're out there and you're running or you're tumbling or whatever, and you're like, oh, I'm tired, I'm, you know. So there's a great example of this. I did the MR340 is, and you and I talked about this. I did this, what, two years ago now, I guess. And it is the longest nonstop boat race in the world. Yeah. It is 340 miles. And it is, in my opinion, much harder mentally than it is physically, which is one of the reasons I wanted to do it. I wanted that challenge. The okay. Hang on. Let me just ask you, have you, had you ever done anything to do with boating before this? I canoed as a child. <laughs> <laughs> I had okay. never been in a kayak leading up to this race. And this was another incident where the minimalism 
the only reason I was able to do this is because of the minimalist strategies. I spent four hours in a kayak before this race. <laughs> okay. I just wanted to give some context. I knew yeah. the answer to that, but I yeah. just wanted to give some context <laughs> to this. Yes. And I was able to finish the race with four hours to spare before the cutoff. And I was one of only 35 women solos that finished <sighs> the race. And it was literally because of the minimalist strategies and the mindset stuff. So that's that's literally the only reason that I was able to do this. So there were several things that went into that. But you know, to your question of the the mindset, on the second day, I met up with two other people who just we just bonded and you know, ultra marathoning in any way, it's a community kind of unlike any other. So the people are amazing. So we met up and we just kind of decided to pace together and that kind of thing. We, we started talking about anything and everything. We talked about the dumbest things. We had song contests and you know, <laughs> we're out in the middle of the river just acting a fool. And I have an app and it's pacing us and it's telling us how fast we're going. And it's, it's in my life vest and I can hear it. Every so often it just chimes up and it tells me what my pace is. While we were laughing and acting nuts and being light our pace was really good. We didn't have to think about it. And then one of the girls, I don't know why I know what was wrong with her, but she said, let's talk about our childhood traumas. And I'm like, well, that's a shift. (laughs) (laughs) We start going down this whole different road and our pace dropped. Not only did our pace drop, but I started feeling aches and pains that I hadn't been feeling. And I was like, hey guys, we can't do this anymore. It is real. And there's a ton of science behind this. Not only do you not perform as well when your mind isn't on the right things, but you will actually release inflammatory chemicals into your body that will cause your your body to not perform as well. It's very scientifically backed. It is The mindset is critical. You cannot achieve at your highest level without the correct mindset. It is incredible how powerful of a tool the mind is. And I mean, stress and all of these things, they manifest in our body in disease right? That's, that's yes, what absolutely. it does. And it's, it's just incredible that we have all of the tools within us to overcome these things and to put these tools into use to help pull ourselves out of the dis-ease and all of these other things, the stress and all that. It's just a matter of learning how to utilize those tools and learning how to strengthen your mind in order to achieve these things. Absolutely. We can literally, so I was, I told you I was on Prozac for a while. Yeah our minds have the same ability to release those chemicals and self-medicate us if we know how to tap into those things. That's the key though, is, is learning how to tap into those things, right? That's, that's not an easy thing to do. It's not, it takes work and it takes dedication. Fortunately for me, I work with high performers and they want to work hard. Yeah. <laughs> so that it's never a hard sell to get them to do the work. It's, it becomes more repetition. Yeah. And the longer you do it, the easier it gets. I'd like to continue on this path about the whole mindset thing and business and the struggles that go along with all of that. I mean, so often we see and hear from experts like yourself who've overcome adversity and transformed through pain to discover their purpose, which is amazing and powerful. I'd like to hear from you. With all of that you have, with all that you've gone through and come out the other side, what are some of the struggles and things you face today around mindset and imposter syndrome? Just to name a few. I mean, I'm sure you would agree that with me, just because we've been through the trenches and come out the other side successfully, doesn't mean that we still don't struggle. 
So can you share a little bit about that and talk a little bit about that? About just still struggling to yeah, like Yeah, just because we've come through adversity doesn't mean that we don't still have those struggles from day to day. Now, it may not plague us as much as it previously did, but they're still there. We still deal with these things. They pop up from time to time. So how do you deal with those now? So I have several tools. That's a great question. And you're, it never goes away. That's, you know, I call myself a recovering maximalist, just like an alcoholic <laughs> who call themselves a recovering alcoholic. Right. You're never cured, you know? So it's always something that you deal with and you're going to fall off the wagon or have issues here and there. And that is to be expected. And you have to give yourself grace when that happens. The first thing you can't do, and again, for people like me, you just start flogging yourself how could you do this? You're so weak. You were doing so well. What's wrong with you? Those are the first things that have to go. And then you need to just turn to your strategies. You become very routine and regimented about just turning to the strategies. You recognize when you're going off track. So I have daily strategies that I implement to keep me on track. And then it's funny you should say, because this has been kind of a super busy season for me, I agreed to choreograph a musical for a youth theater. And I did not realize I would be the only choreographer <laughs> on the whole show. So we are in week five of that. And that's been a lot. And then on top of that, I have a new coaching client that's starting on, on Wednesday. So mm-hmm. you know the onboarding is a little extra and my kids are kids and that can be a lot sometimes. So I've been struggling a bit here of late. So definitely had to turn back to some things. So one of the biggest things that I turn to, I have a written vision. And it's one of the things that I have every coaching client do. So the written vision is broken down into different categories. So every category you could think of your faith, your finances, your free time, your family, health, your business, and how you want those different things to look. And you, as specifically as you can, write down how you want those things to look. And I revisit that vision every couple of months. And then you rate yourself. So you're having trouble, you rate yourself on a zero to 10 scale in each of those categories. How well am I doing in this category? You know, there've been times when I'm like, I'm like a three out of 10 right here. This is, you know, I'm nowhere near doing what I want to do here. And pulling myself back to that. So you asked before about, you know, how do you move away from pleasing others? That's one really great way to do it is having your written vision. Okay. I had a phenomenal mentor that, that taught me this. And you have to do it regardless of anyone else in your life, which is really tough to do. So it's a filter. So when you start saying, okay, well, I want this for my life. And you start writing it down, you say, ooh, but my mom is, she wouldn't like that. You have to block that out. Even if you're married, you have to block out what your spouse would say, what your kids would say. It has to be all about you and 100% you. And then you can start saying, okay, well, you know, I want to be a rock star and travel the world. Well, I have two little kids and that's probably not going to happen. Also, I can't (laughs) sing or play guitar. So that's not realistic, but you do it without the filters first. And then you kind of figure out how to make it happen or if it's worth it, but, or if it's, you know, realistic. Yeah. But that written vision keeps me very honest. So would that then be the one tip or takeaway? What would be one tip or takeaway that listeners can implement immediately to start reconditioning their mind for the success that they want? I do love the written vision, but I would say my the critical question is is the one thing. I know what this one is. Yeah, you I do know it. what this is. <laughs> <laughs> and we're going to talk about it in a minute, but yeah, go ahead. <laughs> so a critical question, and it's, it's thinking in your life, what is it that you're trying to accomplish? And boiling that down to the simplest question you can think of, and then everything that you're doing in your life, ask yourself that question, no matter what it is. 
if it's a piece of food you're going to eat, if it's a show you're going to watch, if it's an exercise you're going to do, ask yourself, does this push me towards my critical question? And if it doesn't, then you don't do it. It's very simple. And what is that question? <laughs> so the question varies based on what you're doing, but the critical question for me that I come back to is, came from the 340. And again, you, you and I have talked about yes. this. So in the 340, you have checkpoints and you have to make it to the time point before the cutoff. And if you don't, then you're out of the race. And to make sure that happens, they have a boat that they call the Reaper. And the Reaper flies a yellow flag and it has a skull and crossbones on it, but the crossbones are paddles. <laughs> <laughs> and you have to beat the Reaper to the checkpoint. And if you don't, the Reaper takes you out of the race. You're out, you're disqualified, you're done. So as I realized that I really did not have the time or the logistics to train for this race, because training on a river with a kayak is actually a 17 and a half foot kayak is a lot of logistics that I didn't understand when I signed up for this thing. So I realized quickly that I needed a strategy to help me get there. So everything that I did, since I couldn't spend that much time actually training on the water, what was the simplest thing? What do I have to do to finish this race? All I have to do is beat the Reaper. So everything in my life became about beating the Reaper. Will this help me beat the Reaper? If I talk to this negative person, will this help me beat the Reaper? <laughs> if I listen to this mindset podcast by Chad Wright, who's this insane Navy SEAL ultra marathoner, Will that help me beat the reaper? If I eat that piece of cake, will that help me beat the reaper? Literally everything that I did became, I filtered it through that question. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> and all that came from the M340. That's it. where that whole thing started. That's where it started is once you got into the mindset of doing that race, that's where this question, and now you implement this into all of your daily decisions and questions and things like that. It did. Even to the point where I was determined every time I got out of the boat. So my husband was my crew Yeah. and the crew is only allowed to aid you on land. Okay. So every time I got out of the boat, I was determined that he would never see any kind of, he would never hear any kind of negativity from me, any kind of pain, anything, because I had dragged him out there for an entire week and I knew that that would not help me beat the Reaper. So every time I got out of the boat and he'd say, how are you doing? I'd say, I am great. People are helping me stand up. I can't open my hands. <laughs> I don't smell very nice. I said, I am great. And you know, the more times I said it, the more it was actually true. The more you believed it complaining about it was not going to help me beat that reaper. I love it. And now you implement this into your daily stuff. Yes. This question into everything you do. Absolutely. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> I want to talk a little bit about your minimalist expert title that you wear. Can you share a little bit about how you became a minimalist expert and what exactly a minimalist expert is and does? Yeah. So it's a great question. So I will say there are no degrees for that. Yeah. <laughs> Do doctorate in physical therapy, but I don't, I've yet to find the minimalist college for success. So in simple terms, a minimalist is someone who approaches every aspect of their lives with extreme intentionality and performs frequent and ruthless edits. It's really that simple. The expertise has come with years of personal experience and ex experimentation and working with some of the best coaches in the world, studying the science. There's actually a ton of science behind why this works and how this works with our brains, focusing on fewer things, even having, it goes to everything, you know, stuff, having less stuff around you, less visual distractions, less auditory distractions, and fewer tasks, you know, on hand. We can only focus on four 
things for stimuli at once. So if you think about that, and that's that's scientifically based, you know, if we can only focus on four stimuli at once, and that's mm-hmm. not just so if I have a child in the background talking and I have music going, there's two right yeah. there. I've got veggies steaming behind me, and then I'm trying to work on the computer at the same time. That's four stimuli right there. And then if an email pops up and pings me, you know, something like that, then that's five and I'm already overwhelmed. And then task switching, you know, it takes 23 minutes every time you switch tasks to fully engage in the next task for your mind to reset. Really? 23 minutes? 23 minutes. How many times a day do you get interrupted from what you're doing? Oh, countless. Yeah, it's, it's, I digress, but it's diving into the science <laughs> behind that over the years and implementing and creating strategies around that science and around the way we're wired to work and finding the strategies around that. And so what inspired your journey? I mean, I believe part of it was the running and the issues you were experiencing with your health and whatnot around the athletics, but what else, what were the other inspirations behind you becoming a minimalist? I mean, you don't just wake up one day and say, I'm going to be a minimalist. Right. It was definitely a journey. And it all definitely, the impetus was the running and that getting me up to Harvard and just the living situation there where I really didn't have anything or anyone or any distractions around me. And it's just the awareness of what I was capable of without the distractions. And then as the distractions started coming back in, what that was doing. And then I started working as I was working with Harvard, working with all these people. Again, you know, Boston is kind of a mecca for all things academia, pharmaceutical. It's, you know, it's high achiever central. So I worked with a lot of very high achievers. I was working with Boston Marathoners and the Harvard track team. And I saw patterns in their lives and things that they were doing. And we started kind of looking at those things and how they were interfering with their running or the things that they were trying to achieve. So it really started with observation and getting outside of my own little bubble and seeing what was happening in all these different industries and all these different areas and seeing these common threads. That's one of my gifts is is noticing patterns and seeing how that worked. And then I like knowing when I'm wrong, if that makes sense. Yeah. So it can be a really tough pill to swallow, you know, especially like with the barefooting. Yeah. I wanted to go back and find every patient that I'd ever met that I had taught the wrong things. I felt so horrible, but I'm willing to make that shift and to say, okay, well, what I'm doing isn't working and maybe I'm completely wrong about this. And then I'm grateful and happy to move forward with that. So it was seeing those patterns and noticing them all around me in all the different areas. And at that point I was traveling the country and, and, you know, teaching running and that kind of thing with Harvard and meeting a lot of different people and seeing a lot of different scenarios. And so are the, are the, Clients that you work with, do they come to you? Are they already on the path of minimalist or are they, as you said, as as you were a self-proclaimed maximalist and you have to kind of help shape and shift their way of thinking? And if so, how does someone start to step into that minimalist lifestyle and mindset? Yeah. Typically when they come to me, they are overwhelmed maximalists and they haven't started down the minimalist path at all. Literally all they know is that they're overwhelmed and stressed out uh, and that I help people with that. Typically, I find that when people get to that point, they don't really care how you can help them if you can help them. Right. (laughs) So (laughs) it's kind of like me getting a broken runner. Those are my favorite. They can't run. So I just rebuild them from the ground up. (laughs) If they're already doing marathons and they're hurting, but they can still do a marathon, it's it's tough. It's almost like, like hitting rock bottom. Yeah. You know? 
for an alcoholic or, or, you know, an addict hitting rock bottom, it helps start you on a new path. So typically the people that come to me are just overwhelmed, stressed out, and they just want something. They just want something. And then we start them with baby steps and everybody's different. I do have a program and a method and a strategy, but how I implement that with different people is very customized and it varies quite a bit. Now, you say that you help high achievers eliminate overwhelm and distraction and that your mission as a recovering stressed out maximalist is to help as many rock stars as possible beat their own reapers and realize their full potential. Why have you decided to make this your mission and why is this mission so personally important to you? I love that question (laughs) (laughs) because it is my passion. This is something that almost killed me. It almost killed me. And it did kill a friend of mine who was on my team. And we were in the gym together every day, every single day. And I did not realize what she was struggling with. And we were good friends. She didn't know about my issues. and I didn't know about hers. And she did end up committing suicide. Wow. And I was very close to it. And I know there are countless more people like me out there. And if they're not on the brink of suicide, they are not living a good life because they're in a bad, dark place and they feel alone. And if I could help one person with that, my mission in life is complete. But thankfully, I've been able to help many more than that. And I intend to help as many as I possibly can before I die. It's it's that important to me because I believe in people hardcore. I have seen people do the most amazing things. Every single person on this planet has a unique genius zone, an area of gifting that is theirs and theirs alone. And no one can use it the way they can use it. And I think one of the coolest things in the world is helping them discover what that is and then seeing them use it. I truly don't believe you can be fulfilled in this life unless you understand where your gifts are and you use them for the benefit of others. I agree with you 1000%. That's I think we're all put here with our gifts, our unique gifts to ourselves, and we're all put here with a purpose. And who are we to deny the world of sharing our gifts? We have to. It is our obligation, I believe, to share our gifts, to figure out what those gifts are and to share them with the world to benefit others because we all have them within us. And it is our purpose for being here on this planet, in my belief. Couldn't agree more. It's, you know, it's, it makes me so sad when I think about all the people who get stuck in the hamster wheel of doing the shit they don't want to do when they're going to work five days a week and they hate where they're going and they don't know where to start to figure it. I wish I could help everybody figure out what their gifts are because think of the impact that would have on the world. How much more beautiful of a world this would be if everyone tapped into their gifts and knew what they were and lived their purpose. Absolutely. And their purpose doesn't have to be something massive, world-changing. Your purpose could be teaching ch- children at school or whatever, working at McDonald's, whatever whatever makes your heart sing, whatever makes your soul sing, that's your purpose. Right. When it pulls you instead of you pushing. Yeah. It's so sad to me that the amount of people that never do figure that out. I completely agree. I just, I wish, <laughs> I wish we could just wave a wand and everyone would figure it out, you know? Yes. It'd be amazing. Surya, what drives, motivates, and inspires you to keep going and pushing and excelling at all that you do? I think, you know, definitely there's just, you know, my husband is one of the most laid back people on the planet (laughs) (laughs) and one of the most even keel people. And, you know, people are who they are and that's who he is and driven, motivated, you know, hard charging is, is who I am. But what drives me more than anything is 
I think that the worst thing that can happen is what you and I were just talking about is for someone to die with their gifts still inside them. And I want to look back. I work with a hospice nurse up in Boston and she talked about things that she heard people say on their deathbeds. And it's, it's crazy. And when, when that's me, I do want to be able to look back and say, yeah, I used everything to the best of my potential to help other people. And I want other people to be able to say the same thing. If I can be part of that, that's what drives me. What lights you up or inspires you the most about the work that you do? That's it. I have the people that I've worked with. Well, definitely I, I don't hate the achievements I've been able to <laughs> to have, but man, I've seen some people do some insane things. I coached Flying Walenda. Are you familiar with the Flying Walenda? Yes, I am. So one of them, I worked with her and she was able to do a handstand on the high wire. Wow. Uh, and you think about, I kind of talked to some of my business people in terms of this because, okay, stakes aren't typically life or death in yeah. a business deal, but what if we approached it like they were? Because for her, they are. Yeah, absolutely. If she gets distracted, if she gets overwhelmed, if she loses her focus for one second, she will not only die, but she's going to take everybody else with her. If we approached everything like that, like literally my life depends on me being in the right headspace. Just imagine what you could accomplish. And people don't approach it that way because they don't see it. But like we were talking about before, it can be life or death, right? Yeah. Disease processes, you know, depression, mental health, all of it stems from that. It doesn't happen as quickly as falling from a high wire, but no, it's still happening. For sure. But then on the other side of that, we also have to learn to not take life so seriously as well, because there are a lot of people who take life way too seriously. You got to learn to have fun and relax too. Absolutely. I think... There was a couple I was working with, and this is actually really funny, and I am not anti-therapy at all. I want to be very clear about that, yeah. but they have been going to therapy for years and things just weren't getting any better. They were hanging on, but they weren't getting any better and they were so focused on all of their problems. And that's what they talked about. That's what they thought about yeah. all the time. Work, 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 work on these problems. And I said, what is it that makes you guys great? When do you feel connected? When do you feel happy? And it was things... They were playing together, you know, mm -hmm. uh, going to play pool, axe throwing, yeah. going to paintball park, going for a run. All things that this couple liked to do, they, they would just literally play with each other. And they had gotten to the point where they didn't even feel like they could joke with each other because they were going to offend the other one. So we talked about setting aside all of it, all of the, the, the problems for a period of time, not ignoring them, not, you know, but just focusing 100% on those things where they felt connected and great. And they weren't even allowed to talk about any of the problems. <laughs> and within a couple of months, several of those problems had just disappeared. And that's part of minimalism is focusing, learning to focus on the things that will make the other things either much easier or completely unnecessary. It's a, it's a very fine line, right? Because like I said, a lot of people take life way too seriously and they get caught up in that. And it's hard to shift out of that. It is. But you have but you to also for have your own sanity. <laughs> right. But when you're not focusing on 500 different things and you're yeah. only in your unique genius zone and doing those things, you got a lot more bandwidth to laugh and play and enjoy. But again, that speaks to finding what makes you happy, yes. finding what makes your soul sing, which is not an easy thing to do. I mean, it took me 40, 48 years to find it. You know, it takes time. But think of the benefits when you do find it. You know what I mean? Absolutely. It's a long journey. It's a tough journey. It's not easy. But that, then again, self-work and all of those things are not easy. You have to do them. Right. We learn the lessons from the trials, right? We don't yeah. learn the lessons when everything's perfect. Exactly. Exactly. 
What do you think your unique skill set or superpower is that's helped you become successful? I think it's being open. I approach people and things with curiosity rather than criticism. Not that I agree with everybody and everything, but I want to learn more, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. I was just speaking with a friend just before we got on this call and we were talking about these types of things and having open, honest, authentic conversations with people. We need to, in my belief, conversation is the catalyst for change. That's how we start to change things is having conversations. And we need to go into those conversations with an open mind and open ears. We have two ears and one mouth for a reason. Again, as we talked about earlier, if you go into the conversation with not waiting, not entering a conversation with the intent of just responding, but actually listening to what's being said. We have right. to actively listen when people are talking. And this is how things change is through these conversations. Right. I truly believe that I can learn something from every person on this planet. Absolutely. You just have to be open enough, as you said, to listen. But a lot of people aren't though. Yeah. It's tough. <laughs> <laughs> it it's is. Tough. It is. You know, and yeah. It's we could we could talk for hours about that whole thing, people not Absolutely. listening and active listening and the differences. But I digress, as you said earlier. <laughs> <laughs> How do you define success? What does that word mean to you? Yeah, success. Again, it kind of goes back to my written vision. Okay. If I'm ever at a ten out of ten on my written vision, that will be of completed success. But success is progress towards ten out of ten in all those areas in my vision. So it is full mental, physical health, good relationships. And, you know, of course, finances are important too, but I don't think they're as important as, as some people think. It's funny because we are minimalists. And my daughter just yesterday, she said, do we have less money than other people? And I was like, that's a really weird question. <laughs> Where's that coming from? And she's yeah. like, she goes, well, we don't have nearly as much stuff as they do, as my friends do. And I'm like, okay, all right. So I can see the correlation. Right. But again, that's where she's coming from is that's the environment that she's in. Yeah. The more stuff you have, the the bigger the house, the shinier the car, the more cars, you know, yeah. the more stuff, the more success. And I don't equate success that way. Right. So yeah, fulfilling relationships, knowing that I'm helping other people, being financially stable. But yeah, living that vision. So I love that you brought this up and that you you mentioned your daughter and, and the whole correlation between money and success and money and, and material things. How do we, as a minimalist then, as minimalists, how do we get around that whole mindset? Because you get bombarded with that shit everywhere you turn. Success equals money and materialistic things equal money. And I mean, let's be honest, we have to have, there's no way around it. We have to have money to survive. But how do we shift around that so that it doesn't become the focus, yet we still, I mean, we have to work to make money. So how do we get around that whole thing where the focus is money and I've got to have this money and, you know, all of these things, it's a very tough line to walk because you don't want to be focused solely on money, but we need money. You can't get around that. Right. So how do we deal with that? How do we rise above that and realize that, okay, I can just live with this, this, and this, and I'm okay with that, and I don't need money for this, this, and this, and money is right, not the focus. Absolutely. And I'm certainly not immune to that. You know, I do well financially. Right. Very, very happy and grateful for what I have, but I'm no billionaire, and I I do masterminds as frequently as I can with other high achievers. I oh, get so much out of being in a room full of people who are all there 
for the same reasons, just to sharpen each other and help each other grow, challenge each other. So I was sitting in a room at one of these masterminds next to a man. It was his turn in the hot seat. He starts talking about his business. This man is a billionaire. Just ridiculous. I'm sitting there next to him thinking, oh my gosh, what on earth do I have to offer this guy? He's a right. billionaire. I'm not a billionaire. I, you know, I'm never going to be a billionaire probably. And you know, with, I have nothing to offer this man and all these different things. So I'm not immune to it because I think that's human nature. Mm -hmm. I do tend to towards a low information diet. Again, that goes with minimalism. I don't watch the news. I don't watch TV with commercials and, and things like that. I have a pretty low social media presence and okay. and diet there because, oh, comparison is the thief of joy. Yeah. And social media is, oh, it's intense. You know, yeah. everybody's living their best life on social media. <laughs> it's the high, everyone's highlight reel. It is. And I think that kills people. So I think getting away from those things and coming back to the written vision too, because in the written vision, one of the things that you have to do is put out your finances. What to the cent, to the dollar amount exactly, do you need to live this vision so that you know, so it's not just, I'd like to have a million dollars. I would like to have a million dollars. That'd be great. Do I need a million dollars to live my vision? No, I need this amount of money to live my vision. And then how do I work that? How do I make that happen? Okay. Now- I want to play devil's advocate here with the social media bit. Yeah, it's a double-edged sword. And if you want to get your message out there, whatever that may be, whether it's your business or just get your message out, you need the power of social media to get it out there. So how do you walk that line? And I know definitely, I know lots of people who leverage social media very effectively to get their message out and do those kinds of things. But those people I advise to kind of get in and get out. Okay. Not to just scroll around and... Yeah. See what other people are doing. Get sucked um, into I, that black hole. Exactly. <laughs> and, and I don't do it that way. When I get in, I use LinkedIn. I occasionally use Facebook, but I use them very intentionally. I have people that I'm that I want to connect with and my speaking engagements are word of mouth. My coaching clients are word of mouth. Mm -hmm. And then when you get in front of a room full of people and speak, you know, it all just kind of multiplies from there. They know people and they, you know, I yeah. knew the one person who brought me in and now I you know, 500 people who know who I am and, you know. So be so intentional. I'm very intentional. Exactly. That's the core of minimalism is intentionality. But I never recommend scrolling. On <laughs> no. Or scrolling That's on any time social suck. media. <laughs> it's a time suck and it's a, oh, you feel like. Energy I've, draining. I've never felt like a worse mother ever in my life than when I've been scrolling through Facebook and think, oh my gosh, look what she's doing with her kid. Look what she, I didn't do that with my kid. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. It can play on you. Definitely. Saria, what would you say is one of the most important things you've learned in your life? And what was your life like before learning it? And what was your life like after you learned it? I think it's just that we're created perfectly to begin with. And we need to lean into that and optimize that perfection that's already within us. As I spent most of my life thinking that everything that I thought and did was wrong and needed to be better or different. We are perfectly imperfect. We are perfectly imperfect. I have those insane gifts just like everybody else does, and I need to lean into those gifts. What is an unexpected blessing or occurrence in your life that you're grateful for? I guess if you were to look at it that way, it would have been my struggles with mental health. I am not thankful for the struggles. <laughs> I'm really not. I'll never say that. Yeah. But I am thankful for the lessons and for giving me a platform and a place where I can come from of understanding and knowing that there are those people out there who are like me and they're super quiet about it. Nobody knows. 
What does the word empowerment mean to you? I think empowerment, again, it goes back to those gifts, stepping into your gifts and being able to unleash them on the world in the way that only you can. What was a turning point in your life and how did it affect you? Well, yeah, that was another issue with the mental health and everything. I had, before I had my first daughter, I had two miscarriages in one year and that was really, really intense. And I was still practicing physical therapy and I was having panic attacks to the point that I, I had to go home from work one day. I just, I couldn't work. And I went out and I just, I ran and 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 I ran until all the demons just... I outran them. (laughs) (laughs) You outran your demons. (laughs) (laughs) They couldn't keep up. (laughs) To date, what would you say is your biggest high or your greatest win? I don't think there is one. Like I said, I've I've had tons of really amazing things I've been able to do. What's Uh, one that really sticks out for you? I would say the the 340, completing that. And it was a four-day journey. And... Literally every step along the way of that, I learned things. It's the toughest thing mentally I've ever done. Yeah. I learned things all along the way with that, that I have been able to use to help other people in all aspects of life. That's powerful. Okay. We're going to jump into a little rapid fire section here. So the next grouping of questions, just be two, three, four word answer type thing. Okay. Okay. How would you describe yourself in one word? Intense. Early bird or night owl? Night owl. If you're writing your autobiography, what would the title be? Oh, The Power of Less. What is your favorite entrepreneurial book? The Gap and the Gain. What's one thing you want but cannot buy with money? Time. If you could teach the world one thing, what would it be? Giving yourself grace. What is your favorite self-care practice? Running. That concludes our rapid fire section. Now back to our regularly scheduled program. <laughs> I, say, I felt like I had to be like really on, really in the zone there for a minute. I'm like, okay, all right. <laughs> focus, focus, focus. <laughs> Surya, what is something surprising you've learned about yourself in the last year? I think the surprising thing is that sometimes I think I'm farther along than I actually am. Sometimes those things kind of pop back up on me, the imposter syndrome or the feeling that I'm not good enough. I just was in Guatemala last month on a mastermind mission trip. And again, I love doing those things. People go deep on you and challenge you. And I was shocked that some things came up with just, again, kind of not just being too hard on myself in certain areas and not believing in myself. There's things that I thought I had overcome. And I think it is good to, you know, kind of constantly do those wellness checks and have people dig into you. I didn't think those things were still there, but they were holding me back in certain ways. Yeah. What do you see as your greatest accomplishment? I think understanding and leaning into my purpose and my gifts and and not being afraid to do that, to burn it all down. (laughs) There we go. Burning it all down is my greatest accomplishment. (laughs) Yeah. What aspect of your personality do you think has been the most helpful in your career? Just my openness and my curiosity. Who in your life has had the biggest impact on you and why? I've been incredibly blessed to have amazing, amazing mentors and coaches. I am a coach and I will always have a coach. I believe in coaches. My parents taught me an insane work ethic. So I'm grateful to them for that. Came without all the warm and fuzzies, <laughs> but I, I am grateful for the work ethic that they instilled. But yeah, I've had some amazing coaches who just, I think the best thing that you can do when you find a coach is someone who is there for you hundred percent, but they're not going to hold your hand and they're not going to withhold things that maybe you don't want to hear. And is that how you approach your coaching? 
It is. And before, honestly, when people start with me, before we ever move forward with, you know, agreements or anything like that, before we ever start, I ask their permission to play full out with them. And I make it very clear that if they're not okay with that, then this isn't going to be a good fit. Yeah. I have yet to have anybody say no <laughs> to that. But yeah, I mean, if somebody isn't going to challenge you, that's not even a good friend. You know, you have yeah. a friend in life who who is just always blows smoke up your, your hiney and tells you what you want to hear. They're not helping you grow. No, definitely not. If you had the opportunity to sit down and have a one hour conversation with one woman, any woman in the world, who would it be and why? I actually saw this question this morning when I was going there. <laughs> it would be Lucille Ball. <laughs> it would. All right. <laughs> I think she is just one of the most amazing women on the planet. Here is someone who just beautiful. Yeah. But she leaned into her gift for comedy yeah. and made herself look a fool all the time. You know, she could have just done the safe, I'm pretty thing. Yeah. And she didn't. She bucked every stereotype, every tradition, leaned in her gifts hard. And then she was this phenomenal businesswoman and mother, and she just did it all. And there was never a time in her life where she was a victim. She never laid back and said, oh, this was done to me. And this was, she just said, okay, what can I learn from this? Even, you know, her husband, Desi Arnaz was, you know, a womanizer and a gambler and all these things. And I read an interview with her and she said, I want people to understand he made me really happy. She's like, I want people to know that. Wow. She could have very easily thrown him under the bus, yeah. and, you know, but that wasn't her MO. And I think you see that with successful people over and over again is they're not, I tell my kids, it's like, it's like mud puddles. Yeah. So everybody's going to step in mud puddles in life, right? But yeah. you're going to step in it. But do you keep walking or do you lie down in the mud puddle and roll around in it and complain about the mud puddle? <laughs> True. True. I, the first thing that popped into my head when you said Lucille Ball was that scene in I Love Lucy where her and, oh, what was her name? Her Fred and... Ethel. Ethel, Ethel, that's it. <laughs> On the assembly line with the chocolates. Yes. <laughs> Stuffing their faces with chocolates. Yes. <laughs> you talk about laughing, laughing every day. Yeah, for sure. If you could go back and give your younger self one piece of advice, what would that piece of advice be? Ease up, kid. You're good enough. I love that. Lastly, Surya, if you were to deliver your last 30-second speech to the world, your corner of the world, your tribe, your people, what would that last 30 seconds sound like? What words of wisdom would you impart? Oh, Brad, that's hard. Okay. I would say make it your mission in life to frequently and ruthlessly edit in all areas until all you're left with are the things that best serve you. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Saria. It's been an absolute pleasure having the opportunity to sit down and chat with you, learn about minimalism and all of the things. You are an incredibly beautiful human being, shining a bright, beautiful light out into the world. Keep doing and sharing your light with the world. It has been such a pleasure. Thank you for making and taking the time to be here with me today. And I'm honored to have you as a member of the Empowerography community. So thank you. Thank you so much, Brad. It's been a pleasure. Once again, my name is Brad Walsh, host of your Empowerography podcast. Today, my guest has been Surya Sabi. She is a keynote speaker, a strategist, a minimalist expert, and a coach. Thank you so much, Surya. I hope you have an amazing rest of the day. You too, Brad. Thank you very much for listening to this podcast. If you haven't yet, please be sure to subscribe, rate, review, and share with all your friends. You can find me at visuphoria.ca, follow me on Instagram at Empowerography Podcast, and on Facebook at Empowerography. 
Please join me next time for another inspirational story from yet another amazing woman.